your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome to Michigan State Week here on Off Tackle Empire, and uh, we have with us a very special guest, our Michigan State correspondent Andrew Krzyzewski. <laughs> What's up, Doc? I really don't want to talk about my team. All right. Nope, I can do this. Okay, so... I had to do it. God damn it. Yeah, but, like, you knew your team was going to suck last year and be really difficult to watch. Mine was supposed to be good. And so what did they do with that? They went 6-6 six and six and they... No, 7-5, seven and, seven and five, excuse me. Um, managed 7 wins in regular season. Are you suggesting in, that 7-6 doesn't have any connotations to you? It doesn't mean anything? I don't recall anything about that. Um... Because depends I mean, the on only, what the definition of the word is. Is right. The only reason that nobody talks about how atrocious that Red Box Bowl is is because the Cheese It Bowl also happened. Um, and of course, you you remember one time. Yeah. So um, nine interceptions. Yeah, yeah. It's only because it wasn't that bad. Which honestly, when something is like that, at least the defense was impressive. Like the defenses in Michigan State, Oregon were good, but not like not grabbing nine interceptions. Good and granted, a couple of them were absolute punts. But uh, boy. Massively disappointing season last year, and so what did Mark D'Antonio do in response to the most flailing, sputtering offense he's had since definitely 2012, maybe altogether, because honestly, at least that team had Le'Veon Bell. What did he do in response to last year's offensive catastrophe? Shake him up, shake him up, shake him up, shake him! Yeah. Yeah, didn't fire anybody. Just gave everybody on the offensive staff new jobs. Don't know why. Okay, all right. So Switch places! Yeah, that's that's the approach he took. So Brad Salem is the new offensive coordinator, um, previously the quarterback's coach, which has generally been a position of strength for Michigan State. I think, honestly, it doesn't matter who the coordinator is. It only matters if D'Antonio gets his hand out of the guy's ass. Um, I don't think we actually know if Dave Warner was a good offensive coordinator or not, because I think he just did what D'Antonio told him, which was run the most bland-ass, safe, in air quotes, offense that you possibly can, do not risk anything, punt the ball away, which last year was a hilarious misadventure, <laughs> um, and then trust the defense, and six points will be should be enough to win in the year 2019 with the way football is structured. God fucking damn it. So, Yeah. In my mind, this is a D'Antonio is gambling a lot here. Now, that's not to say that he's in any risk of losing his job. He's there as long as he wants to be, especially because the athletic director now, fucking Bill Beekman, what is he going to do if D'Antonio has another hugely disappointing season? He's going to call D'Antonio in his office and be like, Mark, look, what's going on here, man? What can we do? D'Antonio would flip him the double birds and tell him to get out of his office. <laughs> so... there. No, there's, there's no, but if they don't win and win big this year, I will check out on the D'Antonio era. I mean, I'll keep watching, I'll keep talking about it, I'll keep complaining about it, but I will no longer have any expectations of him accomplishing anything else. And if that's the case, hey, hell of a run, all right? Three conference titles so far, Rose Bowl, Cotton Bowl, playoff appearance technically. <laughs> but I will no longer expect him to beat Michigan most of the time. I'll no longer expect him to be competing for division and conference titles and, and everything that lies beyond that. So this is his chance to win me back. And I know that's got to motivate him deeply and powerfully. And fundamentally, 
you also, you know, even if you're checked out, you know that that's not going to be quite checked out to the degree that there aren't, you know, 90 plus percent of the stadium full and, you know, there's still a lot of energy on game day. And it's like fun to go to still. Like, I guess, man, it's but... not going to, you know, I don't think the Mark D'Antonio era is ever going to get to the point where it's like not fun to go to the games anymore. Like you don't have college football atmosphere. And I feel like not enough people appreciate that. Um, we'll see. I mean, there were some empty seats towards the end of last season. And, yeah. And, all right, look. What? Right. I understand it's not as bad as Illinois. You went go green, go white, at least. Right. Well, I mean, if only because the last couple games were like Rutgers. Like, they're not... It, look, if we had played yeah. Ohio State towards the end of last year, well, it was pretty late in the season, but if we had hosted Ohio State towards the end of last year. You would have heard OHIO, I'm sure. It was only because yeah. that was the one, like, it's fortunate that we still do play, and still last year probably played our best game against Ohio State. The Michigan game was a disaster. Um, but we went over that when it happened. So, my point is, there's, 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 yeah, even if it feels like D'Antonio may have bounced off the ceiling, there's also still, like, a much higher floor than before he took over. Three and nine was two years ago, or three years ago. Well, that really doesn't fit with the overall picture. I guess um, not. But look, it happened. Is my point. It's so yeah. when you say, but it didn't become a pattern you, or a habit. No, but when you think a floor, look, I thought before that that the floor really was about what we got last year. That bowl eligibility was going to be a thing I could count on, and that from there, I mean, that that was basically his goal when he came in. Why are you wincing like that's an unreasonable thing to think after the run he had just had? Because my foot hurts. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> and suddenly something just was like, oh, hey, hey, this part of your foot's just going to start hurting. Why aren't you trying to think? I was like, what am I saying that's so unreasonable here? Like, before that, he went, went to the fucking playoff, won 12 games the year before, won the Rose Bowl the year before that. Like, is it really unreasonable to think if you have that kind of run that you might have a higher floor than three and fucking nine? Like, Ask ask my foot, man. My, my right <laughs> foot clearly has different expectations for what MSU football uh, ought to be able to allow. Well, I'm going to address your left foot from here on out. <laughs> so getting down to the details of this then. That's my plant leg. Go There's, green. <laughs> There's still a great deal of continuity um, on both sides of the football, not to the degree they had last year, which was a big part of the disappointment. Given the carryover they had from 17, which was a successful season, last year should have been a big success. And I understand that there were injuries that hammered a lot of really important groups on the offense in particular. And also, whoever would have figured that in one season you could use five or six punters because guys kept getting hurt and guys just sucked because you're talking about like your second walk on, but you know, um, everything. The Big went Ten, wrong. you gotta be prepared for your punter to go down. Oh, they addressed punter death. Trust me, <laughs> but uh, there's still like there's pieces here such that this offense should be better. All right, I mean, Lewerke is supposedly healthy or pretty close to it. He looked better at the spring game. He's still not the kind of downfield thrower that Connor Cook was which still means that the offense needs to put him in better situations than third and 15 all the time, the way they did with Connor Cook, because he's not going to bail him out. And the offense doesn't have a receiver like Burbridge either. So, you know, Cody White and Daryl Stewart are a pretty good combo. 
They've, they have tight ends who look the part, but they never make actual use of them. Well, then you talk about, you know, again, Lewerke's always going to have to, always going to be compared to Cook. Um, and if they're not able to, you know, if he's facing the pass rush all the time, like, like he's been in the games where they struggled, um, he, not like Connor Cook, he can't just brush them off like they're Archie Griffin. He's, no, I mean, he's not as big as Cook, but he's also much more escapable. And that was kind of another thing was that they sort of wrote the quarterback run out of it, except for like a couple design, like they didn't let him scramble. They just called a quarterback run, which is not what he's good at. He's good at running when the play breaks down. But it was like they taught him not to do that. When that was the most effective thing that he had from 17. So So he'll sidestep Archie Griffin instead of boxing him out, is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) That was the dumbest controversy that has happened in recent Big Ten memory. I still laugh about it if it comes up, though. Um, It was kind of like the... Remember when Jim Harbaugh coached the 49ers and he, like, shook Jim Schwartz's hand really hard? What's your deal? Yeah. Oh, that was Pete Carroll. Well, I don't know that was Pete Carroll, but I'm just like it's the kind of thing that comes up with him a lot. Yeah. You know, Cook actually plays for the Lions now. <laughs> that seems appropriate somehow. I guess. I mean, oh my god. Oh my god. You have no idea. How many people do you think are going to be calling in by week two to the ticket, asking for Connor Cook to start? Are you sure? No. Yeah. None. I don't even know who the Lions open up with. I don't know what the likely result is, but no, there's... The, <laughs> They're more concerned think, with the head coach at this point, I think. Well, yeah, I, I can't... We're talking about the fucking Lions now. Um, I don't think anybody, even in this town, is deluded enough to think that Connor Cook is really going to be in a better option than Matt Stafford. Um, and let's leave it at that. So... In any case, the only real departures from the offense last year, Felton Davis, who you're certainly going to miss, um, but he, he was also hurt for more than half of the season. Um, Matt Sokol is a tight end who was kind of just a guy. And then LJ Scott made the mystifying decision after missing most of the season with an ankle injury to play in the bowl game, which burned his eligibility. Go pro. He was not drafted. He signed briefly with the Ravens. They released him. Then he signed with the Browns, and they released him the same day. And it sounds like he's kind of not playing football anymore. So what exactly he's doing is hard to say, but he presumably does not have a driver's license while doing it. Ah, man, I'm going to let it ride. I'm going to let it ride, baby. Double or nothing. But look, I mean, unfortunately, as as I've said about him in the past, he was the Gohan of Michigan State running backs. And that (laughs) his best moment was by far... Early in his career, he had the he had the game-winning touchdown in the Big Ten title as a freshman, and then after that, he was either injured or ineffective. And granted, the offense was pretty bad around him for the most part, but he never lived up to his billing. I, I don't think it's unreasonable to have called him a bust at this point, which is unfortunate. I wanted him to succeed, but they've got I mean they really just have a, an assortment of bodies on offense. They don't have any obvious all-conference type playmakers. Cody White could be that guy. But in terms of running backs, I don't see an obvious game changer. They could. There's a freshman, Ant Williams, they have, who showed some stuff at the spring game that makes me think, hey, maybe this guy's actually fast, which is not His something... His name is what again? Ant Will- Anthony, but he goes by Ant. Ooh, that's a, that's a high-quality football player name. Yeah. And he, like I said, obviously it's spring game, but 
when I watched him, I thought, wow, he's actually fast, which is not something you say about guys on the Michigan State offense all that often. So, like, it would be hard for the offense to be worse than it was last year if Salem is actually allowed to design and call it the way he wants. I think it could be pretty good. I think these there's enough individual talent that maybe we could see something. Now, supposedly the offensive line is now actually a bunch of big dudes. Um, they're supposedly all over 300 pounds now after last year only having one guy who was over 300. So maybe they can actually open a run lane this year, too, I guess. There are endless possibilities, or it could be the same thing as last year, where it's run, run, pass, punt on most possessions. Um, try to get to six points and hope that your defense can pitch a shutout. Which, hey, let's transition to the defense. They should be pretty damn good. Um, they did lose Justin Lane to an early NFL decision. Kari Willis graduated too. And then Andrew Dowell, linebacker, is gone. Other than that, pretty much everybody's back. The whole defensive line group is back. Still have Joe Bocci. They'll have Josiah Scott. They've got young guys in the secondary that are interesting. Rick Williams? What's that? Rick Williams? Yeah, he's on the line. He's still there. Um, now, wait. I got a question. Sure. I'm just looking at the roster right here. Okay. And they got this defensive end named Parks Gissinger? Yes. He redshirted last year. Okay. So, is he going to play next to Rick Williams? <laughs> it's possible. Because he's Parks end. and Rick... Could Parks be one <laughs> hail of a Parks and Rake could be one hail of a disruptive duo on the side of the line there. Unfortunately, we'd only get a one season run out of him if it happens. Um, yeah, he could play. I mean, they need defensive end depth. Kenny Wilkes is the only proven guy, and he's coming off a broken leg, I think, in the bowl game. So they need guys to show up in defense end. We could see Parks and Rake. Parks and Rick. That's oh my god! If that actually happens, then. Oh, happy day. Yeah, the, defense, the defense should once again be good, is my point. Um, pun, and the, the punting situation, which actually has to be addressed, should stabilize. Um, I, do, I don't know if Jake Hartbarger has heard about getting a sixth year. It feels like he should. And if he doesn't, they did bring in an Aussie, which I think is the first Australian punter they've used. Which makes me a little anxious, because you remember trouble with the snap was because of a rugby-style punter. Whoa! Well, still though, if you're gonna keep up with the arms race, the legs race, gotta find you gotta go awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I appreciate that they're at least embracing that, but they've got a contingency plan because hilariously, the guy who was supposed to be the next starting punter, Will Prishtup, uh, transferred in the off season. I guess because they brought in our scholarship guy behind him, but I, <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, yeah, and that's weird. So y'all got punter drama. Well, no, because he's gone, so there's no drama. <laughs> um, so let's look at this schedule. Yeah, schedule is... the Golden P. Right. Or no, the Hurricane of P. <laughs> yeah, it's more than just Golden P. Um, I don't know the first damn thing about Tulsa. I know they've had some potent offenses in the past, um, and that Michigan State tends to struggle in these early season games more than they should, high Utah State. Um, that feels like it should be a win, and Western Michigan is not their old selves. They're not a disaster of a program, but that's that should be a win as well. And then you've got the return trip from Arizona State. Um, they should have won last year on the road in a fucking sauna. Arizona State lost some, I mean, Nikhil Harry, Nikhil Harry. for one thing, um, as well as the defensive tackle, Brunel Wren, I think was his name, 
who wrecked MSU's run game all day, and their quarterback. So I feel like they've lost more than we have. They also now have Marvin Lewis on their staff. Yeah. Um, there's no way that works out long term. If we fire Lubby, he's for sure going to Arizona State. <laughs> It'll just be... Just, so who else could Arizona State hire like in the washed-out? Like, let's see. Probably Ken Wisenhunt. Jim uh, Caldwell. Are you serious? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, they'll get him too, but... I'm surprised they haven't. Just, <laughs> what, we just, what we just need is like a collection of like all the mid to late 60s former NFL head coach Leslie Frazier. Yeah. What isn't he still coordinator somewhere? I don't know. Anyway. What does it matter? Herm calls. <laughs> true, 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 true. You've got to get firm um, for Herm. This is also the first season in recent memory when Michigan State doesn't have a bye in the first two weeks of the season, so that's helpful. But scrolling down, what do we see? They have two buys in a three week span. What oh. the actual fuck? Uh, I just I got one before and after Penn State. Yeah, so I guess we'll be thinking about that game a lot. Um, <laughs> crossovers... Better are, win it. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. The land-grant trophy. Crossovers are, I guess, on the tougher side. Road games with Northwestern and Wisconsin and then hosting Illinois. I guess getting Illinois is probably going to soften that on paper, but that is a trip for Camp Randall and Northwestern. Has frustratingly enough had Michigan State's number because, you know... If your opponent continues throwing scissors, you should obviously keep throwing paper, and eventually their blades will get dull. So that's that, by the way, is the Big Ten opener is the game at Northwestern. Then they have Indiana at home, Ohio State and Wisconsin on the road in back-to-back weeks, followed by that bye, the bye sandwich around the Penn for, State. For, for those Game of Thrones literate uh, out there, Mark D'Antonio against Pat Fitzgerald is like Stannis Baratheon taking King's Landing. But we're we're going to keep running the ball. Hundreds will die. Thousands, said Mark D'Antonio, leading them into battle. <laughs> yeah, and then for the first time I can remember, you have the Michigan game in November. Um, after the bye, it goes Illinois at Michigan at Rutgers, Maryland at home to conclude the season. So once again, the Big Ten continues this thing with Michigan State. Rutgers, Maryland, and Penn State really just kind of shuffle the end-of-season opponent. And look, I get that none of them are well-established enough that it makes sense to lock it in forever, but that's only going to develop if you actually make the teams play in the last week. I mean, I think there's that potential there. I don't even necessarily care who we play in the last week of the season, as long as it's not Rutgers, (laughs) as long as we never have to play them again. Well, good deal. These are my last two. These are my demands. The last two games of the season are Rutgers and Maryland. I'd be fine with Maryland. You know, it's whatever. I mean, I don't actually care about it now, but they're not going away. Maybe I could find a way to care about it if I play. If we played them at the end of the year, November twenty third, you travel to. Highpoint.com e-stadium online. Well, I'm not going this year. Maybe the toilets will actually work this time. That's going to be our theme for the season, I think. Maybe the offense Rutgers will actually 2019. Maybe the toilets will actually work this time and flush Chris Ash away. B1G. 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 Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!